Well, you know what time it is. It's time for another episode of Cummings' is Culture. And just like you, how your neighbor stole your wife. I'm telling you, we're going to steal you. Listeners the same way. He stole her a piece at a time. We're going to steal you an episode at a time. We got a special guest today. It's Mr. John DeVito from the John DeVito Show. We, me and him got together and he's coming on and uh, well, we're going to be talking about a ton of things here today. So let me get rid of that music. John, how are you? Doing very well. How about yourself? Oh, I'm making it, man. Now, hey, now let me ask you something. Now, I, yes. I, remember, I remember one time we talked about you living in uh, New Hampshire. Yes. All right. Now, let me ask you. When you was a kid living in New Hampshire, how did did you did you guys up there? Did y'all did y'all hunt fish? I mean, what what was what was that scene like up there? Well, I can say that I grew up in southern New Hampshire, very close to the Massachusetts border, and in my family directly, we did not hunt. We did fish, but a lot of people in New Hampshire hunt and fish and do those type of things. But we just weren't really a hunting family. But we have you know, a pretty active deer season, a pretty active bear hunting season. So absolutely, hunting is a pretty big part of life in New Hampshire as well as fishing. Well, see, down here, see, now I'm into fishing. I'm not uh, I, I'm not into hunting so much. I mean, I, I know a lot of people around here, they like to go hunting, and it's just – it's just one of those deals, but I've never, I've never been, you know, one of those guys that wants to go sit on a deer stand and, uh, shoot a deer that's a mile away or whatever. When I'm baiting him with corn, you know, no, I'm kind of the same way. I've, I've never been someone that's really been interested in hunting at all. I know my brother-in-law actually does go out and hunt and I do have, you know, friends and, family members and things like that that do it. But it's just never been my thing. I'm the same way. It just doesn't interest me. But it, it is a pretty big thing up here in the North Country. You know, not, not as much, I guess, in Massachusetts, but in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont, hunting is a big thing. Yeah, I got some I got some listeners that, 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 that are into the whole hunting thing. And, I mean, I was pretty sure, you know, they'd be interested about, you know, most of my listeners are probably from the South. But, um you know, I'm pretty sure they'd be interested about, you know, how is hunting in Massachusetts or New Hampshire or, you know, just in the northern, you know, in the New England area. Well, I, I know that, you know, there, there are specific, you know, hunting seasons for deer and for bear and things like that. And it, I know I know it's a, it's a pretty big thing, like especially, you know, where I live in Massachusetts, I'm about an hour west of Boston and we don't have as much hunting here, but I, I have a lot of friends that do grow up in kind of, you know, that, that live in the northern parts of New Hampshire and the northern parts of Maine. And deer season's a big thing up here. You know, there's a lot of hunting for deer. And bear has become a big thing also where they do have a bear season where you go out and you hunt for that. So it's, it's a pretty common thing here. And I know that, like, even one of the kids on my son's baseball team, his father is a big hunter. And he, on Facebook, you know, was just posting pictures of some of the deer that he's taken this year. And uh, yeah, it's certainly a big part of life up here. I mean, it's not something that my family for whatever reason ever really got into, but uh, yeah, it's certainly something that's very, you know, um, very popular up here and a lot of people do it. So um, yeah, you know, I mean, we, we definitely live, you know, in the North country. I don't know if you've ever been up into the, into the Northeast, but Maine, yeah, Maine is a lot like Alaska. Like if you can envision what Alaska would be like, Maine's very similar to that. It's, you know, it's a pretty big state as far as New England goes. And it's really very, very rural up north. 
Like when I go up into the northern area of Maine in the summer, it's very common to see moose out on the roadways. Uh, when I was up on vacation up in Rangeley, Maine this past summer with my family, we did see moose up there. And if you've never seen a moose in person, I mean, they are bigger than horse, you know, horses and just amazing creatures. But there is also like a moose hunting season up in Maine as well that's pretty popular. So yeah, hunting is pretty popular up in the Northeast. I was wondering that now, now here's another thing that's very popular down here in the South that I don't think that, and this is, this is sort of the direction I've seen this going, but here's something that's very popular in the South. That's not really that popular. I don't think it could be, but in the North in the New England States, you know, uh, Boston, uh, Massachusetts, uh, Maine, you know, New Hampshire is it, but down here in the South is college football. You see, that, that's a big difference in New England. You know, I think, and I, I got to say, I'm, I'm kind of envious for other parts of the country because I know how big a thing college football is in the majority of the country. But here in New England, it's not as big a thing. It really is not. I mean, you've got, you've got some college football teams, you know, some Division I teams. You've got the University of Connecticut that is a you know, fairly recent Division I addition. They were a 1AA team years ago. And really the biggest team you have in New England is Boston College. And I mean, Boston College is a decent football team, but unless you went to Boston College, you really don't like Boston College. I mean, you do have some fans up here that are not Boston College graduates, but with BC, you get kind of like an uppity class of people. And, you know, for the most part, like for me, you know, I've lived in the Boston area all my life. I root against Boston College. I hate BC. So <laughs> it's one of those things where, yeah, so I, I think, you know, for, for whatever reason, New England, is more of a professional sports town. I mean, we follow the Celtics, we follow the Red Sox, the Bruins, and the Patriots, and it's a lot more of a pro sports town. But I know for like you, I mean, you've got you know Alabama football, and I've always been very envious because we really do not have that in the Northeast, which is unfortunate because it would be great to have, you know, kind of like those Michigan-Ohio State rivalries or Alabama-Florida. We just don't have that up here, you know, because we don't really have that many, you know, big Division One programs. Well, see, one of the things that's down here is it's Alabama and Auburn. And these kids around here, when you're born, you're born one or the other. Like, it, it's no in between. You're, you're, an, you're either going to say roll tide or you're going to say that dreaded, those dreaded two words of war eagle. But you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna say one of them. And uh, it, it's a massive thing down here, man. It generates millions and millions, if not billions of dollars here in the state of Alabama. But – um, I think one of the reasons that it's so popular here is because if you if you look at it, Alabama going all the way back to the 1930s, they have in the 1930s. My God, they won three or four national championships, and then of course Bear Bryant won six, and um, now Nick Saban has won five, and now he's trying to. Well, he's won six overall, but now he's trying to tie Bear Bryant. You got Gene Stallings with another one. They've got like 17 national championships, and then. You got Auburn over here, who's won two, and you know they're they're they pretty much feel like their little brother, and it's one of those rivalries where you just don't know what's going to happen. And 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 here, college football is just it's king. College football is king here. I mean, the the Titans don't even get the love that they you know should for the city of Nashville because you've also got Vanderbilt, which a lot of people aren't fans of Vanderbilt, but you've got Vanderbilt who's also in Nashville. And then you've got right down the road in Knoxville, you've got the University of Tennessee. So 
Now, I, I don't know if I haven't told you, but actually the, the one regret I have, and I don't even know if it's necessarily a regret, but when I was playing high school football, I was recruited all over the country by a lot of big programs, and I ended up electing to stay at home, and I went to the University of Rhode Island, which was a 1AA program, and there were reasons why I did that. Like, you know, I had a mother who was sick at the time and didn't want to be too far away from home, but the one school that I came really close to going to was Memphis offered me a full scholarship. So I remember I went down on a recruiting trip to Memphis, and uh, it was amazing. I had a great time. The people were super friendly. I remember getting called out to the 50-yard line of the Liberty Bowl, and they announced me and put me up on the big screen and all that type of stuff, trying to convince me to come. And it was funny. The recruiting that Memphis did compared to some of the smaller schools that I got recruited by was amazing. After I went to Memphis, I went to you know, I hung out with the football players, hung out with the coaches. I went to some, I remember, alumni party. And then after I came back, I literally got probably 100 letters from all different people who were members of the community in Memphis. I got letters from doctors. I got letters from lawyers. I got letters from, I think it was the mayor of Memphis. I mean, all these different people who were just writing me saying, it was what a pleasure to meet you. We hope you decide to join us next year. And it was just an amazing experience. And I think probably if I had to do it again, knowing what I knew now, I probably would have accepted the scholarship to Memphis and I probably would have played football there. And I still remember the guy I roomed with from uh, Memphis. I'm not sure who, where he ended up playing college football. He was an offensive lineman, but he was from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. His name was Chuck Bowler. I still remember his name. And I, I'll never forget, I think probably the first hour or two in which I met him, he looked at me and said, damn, man, you got to slow down. I don't know what the hell you're saying. You talk so damn fast. <laughs> so I, I had to kind of slow it down. But I had a damn blast down there in Memphis. It was a beautiful campus. The guys were great. I really enjoyed being down there. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. And, um, I mean, just just being honest, I don't know if you've ever seen the University of Alabama. I don't know if you've ever seen the campus. But um, I can actually send you a picture. But uh, at the – at the at, at the campus, every coach that wins the national championship at the University of Alabama, they erect a statue, a golden statue of these people. Amazing. And, and, and yeah, like say, and like they're running out of room to put like the the All Americans. Like how many All Americans have, have, have come? Uh, how many people made All American while they were at Alabama? And um, now they've got three three of the five Heisman finalists this year are from the University of Alabama. So it, it, college football is one of those things that it's uh it's getting where it's getting where now they're making so Are you still there? Did we lose you? Yeah, they're making so much money. Yeah, I see Wolf Real Talk Radio's comment about the Vols Rock. Yeah, yo, out of all the schools that I got recruited by, University of Tennessee was the school that sent me the most, the most letters by far. I got a ton of letters from Tennessee, but it was funny. Once it got time to talk turkey, I must have fallen off the list because I never got a scholarship offer from Tennessee. But it was just cool to get you know, some of those letters and some of those uh, different correspondence from the different colleges. And my father, it was kind of nice. He put together binders full of – all of my letters and kept those for me, you know, for when I was older. And I, I, I'm still very proud of the fact I get a couple of letters from Notre Dame, you know, UCLA, uh, Tennessee sent me a ton. And it was funny. Um, Tennessee even had me, they were even sending me letters from like co-eds. 
I was getting letters from girls on campus that were saying, this is my name. This is what I do at school. Mm-hmm. We'd love to have you join us in Tennessee. And they don't mess around, man. They pull out all the stops when they're, when they're recruiting. It's pretty funny. Did you did you ever see um, – I, I don't know if you've ever seen this or not, but on recruiting day one year, Alabama had a girl dressed up in a schoolgirl outfit. And she was uh, had her like a short skirt, and she had on uh, stockings, and she was sitting on top of the fax machine, and they were taking pictures of her and putting it on social media. It doesn't surprise me because I can tell you I don't want to get too specific, but on the recruiting trips I did have, like the one in Memphis, let me just say I had a good time when I was down there. They took very good <laughs> care of you. They had uh, guys on the team take you out. I remember we went to all the different bars. I actually had an escort, and not like officially an escort, but a woman who escorted me around, and she was a young co-ed, very attractive. And uh, we, we had a good time. I got to meet all the cheerleaders and do all that stuff, and we had a damn good time down there, that's all I can say. I remember coming back from Memphis thinking, this may be the place where I go because I had a blast, but I had some extenuating circumstances. But I think one of the things happened with me also in college or in high school, I was a defensive tackle. That was my main position. And when I went down to Memphis, they wanted to have me uh, become a center in offense. I had never played the position before. And I think I was a little intimidated about switching to become a center in a big Division One college. So I think that kind of shook me up a little bit. and kind of was one of the reasons why I decided not to go to Memphis. But, uh, yeah, I mean, college football, I wish we had it more up here in the Northeast. It is just not a big thing. I mean, if you think about the schools we have up here, I mean, yes, you have a Boston college. And like I said, unless you went to B.C., if you're from Massachusetts, you generally don't love Boston College. You know, we've got Penn State out in Pennsylvania. But, uh, yeah, there's just a, no big rivalries. There are just no big, you know, kind of things to look forward to like that. And I've always been very envious. I would love to have more of a college football presence up here. But we just don't, unfortunately. Notre Dame. It's funny that you name Notre Dame. They uh, they get to get some of – they get to get some more of Alabama on Friday in the playoff. Right, right. So that should that should be a pretty good game, I imagine. What do you think? No, it's not going to be a good game. You don't think so? I think Alabama is going to roll. Yeah, it, it, I mean they did. I mean, 2012 Notre Dame was undefeated and they destroyed right. everybody, and then they played Alabama and they got murdered. And that was in the Alabama's national championship. Alabama's strong this year. Game. Alabama's a strong team this year. I mean, they're a great team. Well, it's going to happen again. I think it's going to be Alabama and Clemson, and then people are just going to have to deal with it. I mean, they everybody's getting tired of that matchup, but you know somebody's going to have to come up and beat them. Um, right? If you if you don't if you don't want to see them playing each other, then you're going to have to beat them. <laughs> so now, does Alabama have a big rivalry with like Florida? Are you are you big rivals with the Gators or Florida State or any of those schools or no? Uh, Florida, Alabama and Florida uh, was the first ever SEC championship game. And because, you know, I don't know how, how it uh, is up north, but um, uh, I don't know how, like, how well-versed everybody that listens is on college football history. But um, Alabama and Florida in 1992, which was Gene Stallings' year, that happens to be the year I was born, they played this thing called a conference championship, and everybody said they were crazy because um, nobody had a conference championship at the time. And so they played this thing called a conference championship, and then when they played it, of course Alabama won, went on to beat Miami in the national championship game. And But, you know, it's pretty much every year Alabama and Florida have met for the SEC championship game. 
Um, they meet more than any any two schools in the entire SEC. It's always Bama, Florida. Well, I got to say, you know, my, my son, Ethan, who's a baseball player, and he does play football also. I'm not sure if football is going to be his future for college, but he wants to play college baseball. And the place he really wants to go, he wants to play for the Gators. That's something he's always talked about. Now, how is, how is Alabama baseball? Is that a big thing for Alabama? Or is it – I mean, I know it's obviously a huge football school, but how's the baseball team? Uh, they've had one or they've had one or two good seasons, but uh, mostly no. We're not really a baseball school now. That now the area I live in, um, which I, I mean I don't care to talk about it. I, I live in Russellville, Alabama. We have a baseball team here that's like like three peated when it comes to state championships. So the the high my local high school is essentially a baseball school, and wow. um, Auburn Auburn University though um, they. Um, they have a really good baseball program, and I hate to say anything good about them, but they do. They have a really good <laughs> baseball program. Well, see, to me, it sounds like when you talk about them, that's us up here in New England when we're talking baseball. Red Sox, Yankees, I don't care what happens with the Yankees. Nothing about that organization is good. I don't like to say anything about them that's a compliment, and I think probably – one of the worst things, but I guess it would be a great thing that would happen if, is if one of my sons made the major leagues and they ended up playing for the Yankees. I would have to be a Yankees fan, and that would be the <laughs> biggest pride-swallowing punch in the stomach I think I could ever imagine was having to, having to root for the Yankees. You know, I, it, It's funny. It comes down like you were talking about. You make a choice. I still remember when I was a little kid. My, my father was a big baseball guy, and when I was a little kid, I remember being in a store with my father, and I saw a Yankees shirt. I remember this like it happened yesterday. And I remember looking at my dad saying, hey, dad, look at that shirt. Can I get that? He looked at me and said, son, no child of mine will ever wear a Yankees shirt. No, you can't have it. And that was it. We, and we never talked about it again. It was over. <laughs> at that point, he made it very clear that I was a Red Sox fan, and that was the way it was going to go. So I get what you're saying about Alabama and Auburn. Well, see, it's like Wolf says right here in the comments. He's talking about the Atlanta Braves. Now, the Atlanta Braves are the team in the South. Like, everybody, right. they love the Atlanta Braves around here. And I am the odd man out around here, man, because I'm a, I'm a massive fan of the Houston Astros. Like, oh, I like if, the Astros. If yeah. I'm going to watch baseball, I'm going to watch the Astros. And that's just, I mean, it's just one of those deals. Um I, I, I well, never I never really cared for the Atlanta Braves. Well, here's a little bit of trivia for you. So, if you're a Braves fan, Wolf, uh, up in Boston, you know when the when the Braves were in Boston, the Boston Braves, they actually played their baseball field or their stadium was in the same location right now where the Boston University football uh, stadium is. Now, BU no longer has a football team, but when I was in school there or at URI, they did have a football team. So I played at Boston University, and that actually is on the grounds where the old Boston Braves field was. So it was kind of cool. I remember entering the stadium. There was some type of statue or some type of monument talking about this is where Babe Ruth played when he had played for the Braves in Boston and managed. So it was kind of cool to see that, and I got to play on that field. And uh, just kind of a neat thing. So, I mean, you know, the, you know, the Atlanta Braves do have that original um, tie to the Boston area. And, of course, one of the most famous – baseball players to ever come out of Massachusetts. One of the best pitchers in Major League history was Tommy Glavin. He came out of Bill Ricca, Massachusetts and pitched along with, you know, Greg Maddox and Smoltz and those guys when the Braves had those great baseball teams. So I'm a big Tommy Glavin fan. He grew up uh, right near where I grew up and pitched for one of the competing high schools 
that I went to in Massachusetts. So yeah, we get a lot of ties to the Braves up here in Boston, you know, being that they originated from up here. Yeah, that's like the um, that's like when you tell a um, uh, an Eagles fan or a Steelers fan when you tell them that about the time in World War II when they were the when they were the Steagles. Right. Oh God, man, that upsets them so much because you can just tell that there's an actual rivalry there too. So I mean, I think there's sports rivalries all over the country. I just think they're in, you know, just different sports. Just stuff is popular in different places. I mean, so we well, you know have up here in New England too. When you talk about pro football, uh, up here in New England, before the Patriots actually existed, and this is before my time, apparently the New England fans were very big fans of the New York Giants. So you still have a lot of the old timers in New England that have been around for a long time are actually New York Giants fans because at one point there was no New England Patriots to root for. So, yeah, kind of cool. And that goes way back. I mean, I think you have to look at people who are pretty old now to be in that category. But one of my father's good friends actually owned a, like an auto plate glass company up here in New England, and they were named Giant Glass. And it was funny. He was actually a big fan of the Giants so much where he actually he had a lot of money. And he was able to fly on the jet with the Giants to some of their games. Now, my father was invited, along with my mother, to this guy's 50th birthday party way back in the day. And my parents ended up sitting at the same table with Lawrence Taylor. So Lawrence Taylor was actually at, the, at this guy's birthday party. And it was funny. My mother told me, you know, he was the most polite, nice man you could ever imagine. And I'm thinking about, you know, the LT character where he was just an absolute maniac and thinking about him being like this nice guy at dinner. But my mother was like, he was so polite and so nice. And I think about him on the football field. I mean, he played like a maniac. He was a crazy man. It was kind of cool. My parents got to have dinner with Lawrence Taylor one night you know, because of that. So just just kind of cool. You know you know something about Lawrence Taylor? It's funny that you bring him up. But yeah. La- Lawrence Taylor, he actually wrestled at a WrestleMania Are you still there? Did I lose you? Can you hear me? No, I can hear you oh, fine. There we go. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know. So, yeah, Lawrence Taylor, I remember he was involved with some of that stuff, kind of like Gronkowski did over the last couple of years. He was involved with some of the WrestleManias and things like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Taylor talked about it a lot. I mean, he said there was the Lawrence Taylor personality that was kind of like the nice guy, the polite guy, and I think that's who my parents met. But then he always said there was the LT, who was the maniac out of the field, but the guy that also made bad decisions that did drugs and did all the different things he did. So he kind of battled those demons, I think, when he played football over the years. So let me ask you something since we, we brought up wrestling. When you yeah. was a kid growing up, did you watch that on television? Like, who, if you did, who did you watch? And Well, being that, being that I'm an old guy, definitely different people, I'm sure, than you watched. And it was funny. I was able to meet one one of the guys I used to watch a couple of years ago when my boys were actually wrestling. But when I, when I was a kid, I mean, going way back, I mean, obviously, you know, as I get a little bit older, it was the guys like Hulk Hogan and people like that. But when I was young, I mean, there were people like, uh, I don't even know if you remember any of these names, but Super, Superfly Jimmy Snooker, Bob Backlund, Andre the Giant, George the Animal Steel. I mean, there were a lot of, yeah, Undertaker. I remember Ric Flair, um, you know, Hulk Hogan. And it was kind of cool. One night, when I was, I was probably about 20 years old, I was going on vacation with my family, and we were leaving out of Boston really early in the morning. So we stayed at a hotel right next to the airport, and at probably about 3 o'clock in the morning, a fire alarm went off, 
and we had to get out of the lobby, which you know completely defeated the purpose of being in the hotel, was to get some sleep. But we went down there, and apparently the WWF wrestlers back in the day had wrestled in Boston that day, and they were all staying in the hotel. So I actually went down into the lobby. Lobby. There was Macho Man Randy Savage with his girlfriend Elizabeth. You know, all these WWF wrestlers just everywhere. It was like the coolest thing ever. But uh, the, the guy that I recently got to meet, well, not recently, but a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember, there was a guy by the name of Bob Backlund that was the uh, yep. WWF champion. I met him. He was actually signing a copy of his books at uh, my son's wrestling tournament. So I got to talk to him for a while. I got a signed copy of his book and stuff like that. Really cool guy to speak to. So, yeah, I was definitely a big WWF fan back in the day and even you know a little bit in the WWE. And now we had um, – my family had a vacation house uh, up at Lakewood and Pasaki in New Hampshire – and right in the next town over, it was, you know, we, we lived in a small, we had a small little condo, something we picked up when the market was down, nothing extravagant. But the next town over was a pretty wealthy town with a lot of really rich people that lived there. So actually, Stephanie McMahon and Triple H had a house in the next town over. And we used to go to like this place mm. called Monkey Trunks, where they had like, you know, you could um, you know, do all these obstacle courses and things like that. And apparently, uh, Triple H would come every year and go on the different things there. We never ran into him, but uh, had a lot of people up there like that. So I was always hoping we'd run into Triple H, but never had any luck. Now, how about you? Were you a big wrestling fan uh, growing oh. up? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Wrestling was huge here, but it wasn't the WWF. Um, when I was a kid, it was um, WCW. That oh, right. Was, I remember WCW. Sure, I remember that. Yeah, it was the... Um, See, like, in the WWF, they had the whole goofy characters and all that. And then WCW, like, Southern wrestling was more, like, reality-based wrestling. Like, he didn't have, like, the outrageous, you know, characters and all that. But And look uh, at that. I see the Hulkster just came in. Hey, brother, yeah. there he is. <laughs> yep, that's homeboy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, But we didn't... Um, you know, we didn't, you know, I grew up watching Flair, Hogan, Lex Luger, um, Sting. Sting was my favorite of all time. Okay. Like, um, Macho Man, uh, Undertaker. And see, the funniest thing about how I found the WWF, and let me tell you about this. I was sitting at home one night, and I was sitting right beside my grandpa. I'll never forget this. And, um, it was the night that Cactus Jack, the night that they were in Madison Square Garden, um, it was the night that Cactus Jack made his debut in the WWF. And I'm like, I see this weird dude out there and he's like, he's wrestling Triple H and I see this massive, supposed to be woman that's with him. And it was China and my grandpa changed the channel. I said, oh, no, wait China. a minute. Yeah. And I was like, no, change, turn it back, turn it back. So he turns it back, and we're watching this, and they take the steps and hit each other, and then the dude pile drives the dude through a table. So I was hooked on WWF at that point. See, now we had a connection to China up here. China lived directly in you know, my my father and my wife's parents lived about a mile and a half apart from each other in New Hampshire, and China lived in between the two of them. So I never saw her in person, but China actually spent some time living right up in the area where I grew up. And she was pretty well known up in the area for, you know, just, I mean, obviously you see her, she was huge and everything else, 
But, oh, the Ultimate Warriors, I remember them. They were incredible. I loved the Ultimate Warriors back in the day. And, of course, you know, I think as, as wrestling moved on a little bit, I always had the debate, you know, who was better back in the day, Stone Cold Steve Austin or Goldberg? I liked them both, but I was kind of more of a Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. But I did appreciate Goldberg also. I mean, there were a lot of good wrestlers back in the day that were fun to watch. Yeah. Um, Goldberg, see Goldberg, I, I was introduced to Goldberg before I was introduced to Stone Cold Steve Austin. So, um, cause he was, was WCW, right? Wasn't Goldberg yeah. WCW? Right. Yeah. And see down here in the South, man, WCW was King. Um, the, right. uh, it's like, it was like the matter is like Madison square garden. WCW never ran the garden when they went to New York and, WWF never ran the Omni when they went to Atlanta because they knew they couldn't sell it out. All right. Well, if you look at, you know, I've, I've driven by the WWF, which is now the WWE building. And I think it's either in, I think it's in Stamford, Connecticut. I know it's yeah. in Southern Connecticut someplace. I've been I've driven by that building many times. But you're right. I mean, I, I definitely knew WWF and WWE. But then I was introduced to WCW and I enjoyed it. It was a, it was a good product. And you're right. I think it was a little bit more serious than the WWE and WWF was. And I went now a couple of years ago, I brought my kids, my two youngest boys to wrestling. We went in Providence, Rhode Island. And I'm trying to think of some of the characters they had. I mean, we did see what's his face to get the guy that's the most popular guy. Now I can't think of his name. Uh, John Cena. We did see John Cena wrestle, but a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the characters there were just kind of stupid. I didn't like a lot of them, but John Cena seeing him in person was kind of cool. I see the ultimate warriors and we better let him go. What's up ultimate warrior. Oh, he's quiet. Is he there? Five, four, three, <laughs> two, one. Goodbye. I gave him, I tried to let him talk. He didn't want to talk, I don't guess. But um, anyway, um, yeah, John Cena, dude. My grandpa hates that guy. I remember we, wife, used, we used to try to watch him. Oh, just because, like, he, he would sit there and we would watch wrestling because I was still like, you know, when John Cena came around, I was only like 14, 15 years old. And... We would sit there and we were watching. He was like, look how fake that is. Look how fake that is. Oh, now he's going to get up. That's the fakest stuff i ever seen. He lets them <laughs> beat him up and then he gets up like nothing ever happened. I mean, I, I think everybody knew it was fake. I mean, even growing up as a kid, I mean, you knew it was fake, but it was kind of fun to, to watch it and check it out. So I see the ultimate warrior's back, so we'll let him go. By the rain and the moon and the sun and the stars, my little warriors, I'm going to tell you to get a bean, a golden bean, and plant it in the soil like the Indians before. And then it's going to grow a stock up to the heavens, and you're going to face the ultimate warrior because I am in heaven. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. So, Warrior, Warrior, are you are you in heaven right now? I am in heaven. I am the giant in heaven. When you climb the beanstalk, I greet you. But don't mess with me because I'll give you the Warrior Splash. (laughs) So, anyway, what? 
Do you have my theme song? <laughs> now I, I have a question, Ultimate Warrior. Now you're obviously pretty ripped. I remember from back in the day. Did you take any type of steroids, or were you naturally trained? Listen, the Ultimate Warrior only ate fish, and he only ate uh, buffalo meat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I would pray to the heavens, and I would open my mouth, and the rain would come into my mouth, and I would just grow and grow. No steroids, sir. <laughs> so, Warrior, I have a question for you. How do, yes. you, how do, how do you feel about Hulk Hogan? Hulk Hogan was a great champion, but the ultimate warrior bested him at WrestleMania 7, I think. <laughs> and I had the yellow intercontinental championship around one shoulder and the WWF wing <laughs> hold on <laughs> if you quit smoking the oh, WWF man. winged eagle around the other shoulder but that idiot tried to take away my shine, and then he came into the ring. That wasn't part of the script. Man, all the is of... losing his breath up there. He's losing his breath up there in heaven. I'm gonna hang up because this voice is hard to do for long periods of time. <laughs> By oh. the rain and the moon. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, warrior. <laughs> <laughs> oh man he is too damn funny yeah oh my god but hey so let me ask you something let's get away from the warrior now he'll, he'll call in with something else now oh my god he's got my whole show thrown away ladies and gentlemen we're throwing away the script throw away the script it's gone it's gone well, look at my show today my, my show today i was going to talk about happy go lucky things and next thing I know, I've got Oliver Jonathan, and he starts talking about his guest tomorrow night that owns a dungeon. And I'm like, all right, well, so so much for the the holy nature of my show that I was going to have to. That threw the whole thing off. But <laughs> Ultimate Warrior, man, he, yeah, it's funny. Homeboy's been on my show. He's been Mike Tyson. He's been Michael Jackson. He is hysterical with his different voices. If he's in, maybe we'll have a an appearance from Hulk Hogan. It'd be good to hear from the Hulkster if he was if he's available. <laughs> Happy birthday. The ultimate warrior says. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Eric Kirk's wanting to call. Hold on. Let me get Eric on. Hello, Mr. What Eric. Basically, what I'm basically going to say there is um, it, I, I know, you know, who is um, do, doing the ultimate warrior. Um, yeah, we're trying to give him the, the word to come to John DeVito's show either on Thursday when he has to do the Frankie D interview. That way, homeboy can sing to put another kettle on the birthday cake song for John since his birthday is this weekend. Is that correct, John? Yeah, my birthday is January second. I, I can't believe you remembered that. I told you a long time ago, but yeah, yeah, I try to. I try. I try to not celebrate my birthdays anymore because now it's more like, you know, an hey, you'll have a recording birthday. of that. <laughs> yeah, I will. So that'll be fun. Oh, he's coming on. All right, we'll be ready for him. We'll be ready for him. All right. Um, and then Michael Jackson will probably do his shaman. <laughs> yeah. My <laughs> homeboy can do it better, but I'm about to drop back off. But enjoy okay. the rest of the show, everybody. Thanks, Eric. Um, 
Yeah, hey, so why don't we do a roast of John DeVito the day of your birthday? Ooh, I like that idea. I'm easy to roast. That shouldn't be a problem. It should be easy to find plenty on me to roast. So I'm, I'm good with that. There's plenty to find on me to roast, too, and it's not because <laughs> I'm, you know, hey, you know, one good thing about my wife marrying me, you know, if uh, if it came down to it and they had to eat somebody, they could eat for days. <laughs> Same thing with me. Exactly. I, I would sustain my family for about a month, I think, if that happened. But it's true. Now, Eric mentioned in there, Glenn is good at roasting. He has, he actually did a roast to me at one time. He called in and prepared a whole roast, and he did, man. He roasted my ass. He was funny. It was pretty good. Let's see. Oh, oh my God, already. I've got five killer jokes. Oh, man. I'm going to be regretting this, I think, on my birthday. Oh, oh, Ultimate Warrior are the, is the only reason you have five killer jokes is because you only had the five moves of doom? <laughs> but man this is uh but yeah when, when you were see i've lost my whole train of thought <laughs> the ultimate warrior did it to us man yeah we were talking wrestling and whatever else wcw wwf and e yeah so let me ask you something a lot of people down here especially get the feeling that people from the northern states are more liberal slash progressive but when i, I we we got introduced uh, when we you know when we met i found out that you know this john devito guy is this big conservative and i was like you know <laughs> is, is that the is that the feeling like how how common is that in those states is it are you a a, a minority like a real real minority or is it more common than people think? No, it's, I, I'm definitely in Massachusetts more of a minority. But if you think about New England, now, now, when you think of New England, I mean, really, the entire region of New England is, is still smaller than Alabama. But you've got, you know, in the northern country, you've got Vermont, which is kind of like the Grateful Dead, earthy, crunchy. You know, they have no chain restaurants, no chain businesses. It's Bernie Sanders state. So Vermont is very, very liberal. So New Hampshire, the state I grew up in, the state motto is live free or die. There are no seatbelt laws in New Hampshire, no helmet laws. The gun, the gun you know, uh, registrations are very lax. But New Hampshire has become more liberal over the last several years because you have a lot of people who are moving from Massachusetts into southern New Hampshire, which is the most populous part of the state. So you've got a lot of the Massachusetts liberals moving up into New Hampshire. So New Hampshire has become more of a liberal state, but the state I grew up in was a lot more of a conservative, you know, Texas-style state. Now, keeping that in mind, I grew up in a very Democratic family, so my entire family was Democrat. Uh, Maine is, again, probably a combination of Republican and Democrat. Massachusetts, completely liberal. But the area of Massachusetts I live in, like if you're in Metro Boston, anywhere within an hour of Boston, it's completely liberal, very democratic. I mean, we have almost no Republican representation in government in Massachusetts. But the central part of the state where I live, you actually have a pocket of more conservative people. So for me, yeah, definitely being a conservative in Massachusetts is kind of a rare thing. But there are pockets in the Northeast. But honestly, I mean, my vote for president in this area of the country will never count for anything because the delegates of Massachusetts always go to the Democrats. So yeah, I, I would say I'm rare. There are pockets, but the Northeast in general, for the most part, is very liberal. And it's kind of a tough place for a conservative to live sometimes because uh, 
you know, m most most of the governing bodies in this area are all democratic, and that's how the laws are written, and that's kind of how things go up here, unfortunately. Yeah, and I would say you're right. I kind of left out Connecticut and Rhode Island. R Rhode Island and Connecticut are both also very liberal. Um, I don't even think of Connecticut as part of New England. Sometimes we consider Connecticut to be part of New York and New Jersey. And, uh, yeah, Rhode Island's very much the same way. So on a whole, the entire Northeast, including New York, is pretty much a liberal area of the country, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. Yeah, but, I mean, here's the thing, though. A, a, lot, of, a lot of people in your area retire, and we were talking about this earlier. They retire, and they move to Florida. Correct. And in those places of Florida where they're at, they're overwhelmingly conservative. So what changes from the age of retirement and moving to Florida than voting that way when you're younger? And it's, living funny you in say that. it's funny you say that because my father-in-law, he was – and then my, I got my wife sitting next to me. He was a Democrat his whole life, right, Cheryl? Yeah. yeah, so my father-in-law was a Democrat his entire life, and he retired, and he's now living in the Fort Myers area of Florida – and his wife, unfortunately, passed away. She was a Democrat as well. But he met a new woman from West Virginia in Florida. He's been spending quite a bit of time with her. She's a nice woman. And he is now a Trump supporter. He is a Republican. So he has actually kind of changed his colors very late in life and has become more of a, a Republican. He's, he's kind of found God a little bit more. And, you know, it's been a good thing. But I do think you, you do see that happen. And it's funny the way... From the Northeast, it's funny the way people actually move to Florida. Now, to break it down even further, people from New England in general will move to the west coast of Florida. So you have a lot of the Massachusetts people, the New Hampshire people live by Fort Myers in that area of Florida. But then the New Yorkers and the New Jersey move to the east coast of Florida. So you have most of those people in the Boca Raton area and the east coast portion of Florida. So it's kind of funny how it works out where we're even kind of separate as we retire and move to the warmer climates but uh it does seem to happen where people do change a little bit when they get down to florida and become more conservative i've seen that in people that have actually moved here now there were some people that i mean not too long ago moved to alabama from new york and you know they were very they were staunch liberal like and you know that since they've been down here i'm actually friends with them on facebook i see where they post and stuff that you know joe biden cheated and all of this and i was like wait a minute now Four, five, six years ago, when you moved down here, you were, you know, you were hardcore liberal, and now you moved down here, and now all of a sudden, you're you're more conservative than anybody I've ever met. Right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I'd say that you know, my father-in-law, I haven't talked to him in depth about politics. Unfortunately, we haven't seen him now in over a year because of COVID. He's got a heart problem, so we haven't been able to get together with him. So that's been kind of difficult. But yeah, I, I think. I mean, he, he was very, very, very left when he lived in New Hampshire, and he grew up in the Boston area, but that's part of the reason why. Like, he didn't grow up in New Hampshire. He grew up in Charlestown, right outside of Boston, and anyone in the metro Boston area, you know, kind of the Kennedy, you know, or uh, whatever, you know, they're very, very Democratic. But he moved to New Hampshire, remained a Democrat while living in New Hampshire, but for whatever reason, since he's transitioned to Florida – and met this woman from West Virginia who is very Republican, he's kind of gone in her direction has become – a lot more conservative and is certainly a Trump supporter. I believe he voted for Trump. And I, you know, I would have never predicted that 10 years ago. Oh, my Your brothers too. That's a good point. Yeah. My, my wife sitting next to me, her brother, Walter is a pretty big Republican now, right? He's more yeah. of a Trump supporter and he was very democratic. Now Steven's more of a Democrat though, right? Yeah. So she, my wife, Cheryl has two brothers. She's sitting next to me. Her brother, Walter was definitely a, a Democrat. 
he lives in Massachusetts now and is a Republican, but her brother Stephen is still very much a Democrat. So, you know, it is what it is. But I don't know. I mean, I, I don't foresee ever Massachusetts ever changing and becoming a Republican state. It's so the people here are so brainwashed into being left here. That's never going to change up here. Well, you know, it wasn't too long ago that California voted for a Republican president. Right. And, you know, I think that eventually, I mean, it's just like Alabama now. I'm not, I'm not sure how aware you are of this, but, you know, Alabama, it, Alabama was so weird, especially in my area. You didn't get elected in my area if you ran as a Republican up until about 10 years ago. Uh, this was a strict Democrat area. You had to run as Democrat or you weren't getting elected. And But when it comes to the presidential election, we hadn't voted for a Repu- we haven't voted for a Democrat since like the seventies, so it, it it was very strange the dynamic that was happening here. Now the state of Alabama, I mean, my God, it's as red as red can get. But um, it, I, I think eventually, someday maybe that we'll see a change again. I hope so, but I don't know. Yeah, I see Eric mentioned in Alabama has been solidly Republican since like 1980. You know, it's, it's been kind of a strange thing up here, though. If you look at Massachusetts, with it being so liberal, I mean, really all of the representatives across the state, for the most part, are Democrat. But then, for whatever reason, you know, we've had Mitt Romney was a Republican governor of Massachusetts. Again, he, you know, is, in my opinion, kind of a borderline Republican. But it's even now, we have Char- Charlie Baker who's a Republican governor in Massachusetts. But again, I, I think when you even have a Republican governor up here, you can't, we, we don't have you know right-wing governors. You have people that certainly walk the line. And Baker has been a lot more, I think, like a Democratic leader than a Republican leader, even though he has that R next to his name. So, and to the point where it was even talked that, you know, in Joe Biden's administration, if that all does work out, he was thinking about offering our Republican Charlie Baker a spot in his cabinet. So that just kind of shows how he rolls. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those deals that I, I just don't, if you want to talk about the election, we'll talk about the election, but we don't have to, but, <laughs> um, it's one of those deals where I see like going forward. Like I, I just eventually think at some point, but we're going to see something happen. Like, we've got to see a switch. We've got to see, you know, people either waking up and looking at what's going on around them and just realizing it doesn't matter if they've got D or R beside their name. They don't really give two freaking flips about you. No, like, it's true. I mean, look at the $600. I mean, my God, Mitch McConnell blocks that. Blocks, blocks, um, yeah, Yellow Wolf is a rapper. He's uh, he does a lot of stuff with a guy named uh, I've seen him do a collab with a guy named Jelly Roll, who's actually from the Nashville area. Okay, I've heard of Jelly Roll before. I've never heard of Yellow Wolf before, but you know, to the point you were just getting to, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at, you know, if, if you look at the stimulus that they tried to pass, and again, you know, you, you can be on the left, you can be on the right. For me. A person on the right, you know, if you, if you look at me as being a conservative or however you look at me, I think it's a good thing that the American people get help. I have always said that if there are people out in this world that need help, if there are people that can't work, if there are people that have challenges, whether they're physical or mental challenges and they need assistance, 
they should get it. If you've got a mother of four children whose husband left her and she's trying to go to college and she can't afford to pay for things, she should get help so she can actually get to a point in her life where she can be you know, a person that's a productive member of society. So with the stimulus, people have been suffering. I think getting a $2,000 payment probably isn't even enough. But I think the thing that angers me and angers everybody, and if it doesn't anger people from the left, it should. I mean, the, all the pork that was in that bill was just a slap in the face to every American, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're Republican, whether you're Libertarian, whether you're Green Party, whether you're Patriot Party. I mean, we cannot be giving money to all these different countries around the world when we're not helping the people in our country. I mean, imagine if you if you wanted to spend that kind of money instead of giving a billion dollars to the Smithsonian, instead of giving money to the Sudan and all these different places, take all of that money and give it to the American people. Give it to the people so people are not losing their homes, not losing their businesses. You know, they're able to feed their children. If you really want to give help to the American people, then give it to the American people. Don't give it to other countries. I mean, to me, that was just a slap in the face to every American. And that's why we need some serious change in this country. And it needs to start with term limits across the board. And I know we didn't want to get too political, but you brought up the, you know, brought, brought it up a little bit. And, you know, I, I think you're right. The R and the Ds don't really matter. We have one big problem in this country, and it's all the elected officials are looking out for themselves and they're not really looking out for the American people anymore. Well, I looked up something a while ago, and I, I seen that. And for people who don't know, a while ago means a while ago. But um, <laughs> I actually got that, so that was uh, good. <laughs> um, just just a little bit ago, I looked it up, and um, they said that with all the money that we sent foreign countries, we could have sent each American family with two children, four children, whatever. We could have sent each American family, uh, people that are married, we could have sent them $20,000 each. Wow. Think about that. Twenty. Now, imagine what that would have meant. $20,000 a family. I mean, right there, $20,000 a family. If you send that kind of money out to family, people that are trapped at home because of COVID, because they can't you know, go to their businesses, they can't do their jobs, whatever. I mean, that is a reasonable amount of money where if you send that to people, they can make ends meet. People could stay home, not risk catching COVID. But you're right. I mean, that amount amount of money is still being spent. It's just not going to the American people. And if you look at other countries, you look at Germany, you look at France, you look at other companies in Europe, they're giving people, you know, anywhere between three and $7,000 a month during this COVID issue where they're able to support their families. I mean, here, even if you get the $2,000 payment, you're looking at a total of what, uh, $3,200 since the start of COVID since March. I mean, that's not enough to sustain anybody. It's just not enough. And when, when you see that bill and you see that whoever wrote that damn bill sent all that money overseas to other countries and other organizations, I mean, it is highway robbery. It's thievery. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. It, you know, and you're right. I mean, you look at the Ultimate Warrior homeboy saying, you know, people like Ben Shapiro say that giving $2,000 is not a solution. It's not a solution. It's a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. That's all it is.
Well, he's saying that, you know, they're saying they're giving, it's not a solution and it actually makes people not want to work. People like him who are well off are selfish. And he's right. They, they, they keep saying that, you know, oh, we can't give our American people this money because, uh, because, oh, they don't want to work. Well, listen, they can't work in a lot of these states. They're losing their homes because of govern, governors mandating these outrageous shutdowns. And then, they're 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 essentially killing our economy but you know it's okay if we go a couple trillion in debt to send it to china it's okay if we go a couple trillion in debt to buy some black hawk helicopters but it's not okay to go a, a couple trillion in debt to to prop up and fund the american people who the the whole the the backs i mean this whole country's been on the american people's backs for so long and the poor and the middle class have been carrying this country for so long and now they need a little help, and the rich and the elite are proving it again. They don't care about the poor and the middle class. Nope. They don't care. The rich and the elite have one end game, and that's to remain rich and elite. And if anyone thinks the Democratic Party, if you think that they care about you, they don't give a damn about you. If you think when it comes down to it, the Republican Party, for the most part, gives a damn about you. They don't care about you. There is a rich elite, you know, call it the deep state, call it whatever you want to call it, above the American government. Their, their, their goal is to keep us down and to keep them up. And that's what they're doing. And it, it's unfortunate because you look at some of the things that Trump did. Trump brought a lot of jobs back to this country. So in the inner cities, you know, in Detroit, you had car manufacturing coming back. You look into a lot of these cities where for many, many years there haven't been jobs. Trump bought, brought a lot of these manufacturing jobs back to America where people could actually have gainful employment and make a good living for their family. But, you know, as we've seen, you know, the, the, the manufacturing is going to return to China. I think with this new administration, there's not going to be as much of a focus on keeping these jobs here in America. And again, that, that doesn't help the people that are the fabric of this country that are out, you know, trying to make ends meet, that make things roll. I mean, basically... What we are right now, especially with all these mom and pop stores disappearing with Walmart, with Amazon, with Target, they're nothing more than big Chinese retailers. So we're, we're selling the Chinese products during this pandemic. And because of it, all the small mom and pop organizations that make American products, they're all going out of business. And the government is doing nothing to prevent that from happening with their $2,000 Band-Aid. They're, you know? they're, doing, they're, they're doing nothing. And, you know, like you said, your wife's a doctor. And, yes. and, and you know, I, I, this, is, this is the part that gets me. Okay, now, like, your, your wife's a doctor. I can't tell you how much everything in healthcare costs. I can't. Right. It's ridiculous. So, and she knows it. She'll, she'll say it first break. I mean, the things, the costs that come out of healthcare and dealing with the insurance companies is absolutely brutal for my wife. And then the thing that's really tough is, you know, people complain a lot about doctors. You know, you go in, you only get 10 minutes with them. But what happens is these hospitals and these doctors and these different health clinics have been taken over by corporate America. Yep. So you've got these CEOs of hospitals that are businessmen that are coming in saying, okay, Dr. DeVito, you need to see a patient every eight minutes or whatever it is, and you need to have four patients waiting. They overbook her and all the other doctors upside and down. It's all about them profiting. And they're running around like crazy people trying to make ends meet. And it's very difficult on the doctors where you've got corporate America who are now profiting like crazy off of that. And they're doing it on the backs of the doctors. I know no, one, no one's going to feel bad for a doctor. I mean, they make a good living. But, I mean, you know, she has busted her ass her entire life, got out of college, 
owing $250,000 in medical school loans that we had to pay back. And, uh, you know, she, she works her ass off. She worked very, very hard, but she is literally, you know, a slave to corporate America where they are using the doctors and bleeding whatever they can out of them. And really the patients are not getting the care they need from these doctors as well, because the doctors aren't being allowed to do so, which is scary. Well, let me ask you something. Like she, she understands the cost of, 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 of healthcare. She could probably break it down better than anybody. If we're ever going to solve the healthcare crisis in this country, if we're ever going to solve, you know, how in the world do we get a healthcare system that works and how we can pay for it, then why in the world do we not go out and get independent small town doctors or just independent doctors from across the country, put them on a panel and leave big corporation and big pharma out of it and say, look, here it is. You guys figure this out. Tell us how much this cost, this cost, and this cost actually cost, and just use the doctors and their knowledge to help figure out how to redo healthcare in this country. Like, well, why? See, that's, the, that's the problem. When you when you look at big business, you look at big pharma, you look at all those big insurance companies, like Eric just mentioned. I mean, they're all paying off the politicians, so the politicians are getting big fat checks from all these people, and they're protecting their interests. And that's what happens. You get all these companies out there that are writing big checks. And it's funny, when you look at it, you may have like big you know, insurance companies out there writing checks to the left and the right. They don't care who they're writing checks to. They write them to everybody to make sure that they're covered all these ways. So I mean, you you, you get to cut out the special interest money and you got to have term limits on these politicians because until you cut that money out of business, and until you cut these lifetime politicians who are becoming multimillionaires on the back of Americans, nothing's ever going to change. And that's why we'll never have this happen until we get really a fair government. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's possible. I, I don't know if we can break through the corruption or drain the swamp as much as we need to to make these things happen. I mean, I, I think it's possible. But what's going to happen is instead of having uh, instead of having your goofy goober politician who's been there for the past 25 years run on and promise he's going to do something or having your local lawyer run, um, we're going to have to actually start like people, normal everyday people are going to have to start running. Like that's what that's the only thing that's going to change government, and I know it, I know it's going to be hard, and I know it's going to be difficult because they have all this money and they have all this power and they have these big corporations behind them. But how we're going to beat them is if, is is if we all get together and we all you know just we have to stick together through the thing, and and and, and you know when it comes to social issues, we can work on the social issues, but the 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 things that are important right now is, is healthcare education and the the millions and billions and trillions of dollars our government is wasting every day and they're selling our children's future every day um and, and it's like when i talked about kennedy not too long ago kennedy wanted to kennedy wanted to uh do away with the federal reserve note and, and put that with silver use silver certificates instead well, that would have created a surplus in the country. Well, that's something they haven't wanted. So we're going to have to get normal, everyday Americans to run, to be honest, to be loyal to the their constituents, to their neighbors, their you know their wives, their sons, their daughters, and their and the you know just stand up for the future of this country. Because if we don't, man, this thing is going to be lost forever. I agree. I mean, that's one of the things I look at. And you know, I I don't know. Maybe maybe I've been naive. Maybe it's always been this way. And I just didn't understand that. Maybe now <laughs> the, the popular term today is maybe I'm woke finally. But, you know, maybe maybe today, you know, we're starting to realize with all these connections we have in social media and podcasts and things like that, maybe we're all getting this right now. But you're right. I, I think that 
definitely our country is in danger right now. I think that if we don't stand up, our freedom is going to be gone. Hey, Light Bright, how are you? Good to see you. I was just thinking about you earlier today. Good to see you popping in. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it is something where we all have to be concerned, whether you're left, whether you're right, wherever you stand, you know, we have to preserve the freedom of this country. We have to understand that both sides are selling us out. Both sides are sending money overseas. Now, imagine all, all the pork that's in this bill, okay? Yep. Think about the billions and billions and billions that are being sent overseas. All right, let's, let's say that we actually spend all that money. Okay, we spend it all, but instead of sending it overseas, we invest in schools in the inner cities. Yep. We invest in companies to create jobs in the inner cities. Yep. We do things to help people in different areas. It, it doesn't just have to be in inner cities. You, you look in rural America, places where people don't have money. You invest in this country. You invest in improving, improving education. You invest in improving certain aspects of this country and creating jobs and giving people tax credits to start businesses. There are so many things that we could do with that money that would improve this country and give the people of this country a better life and allow people to have more money and to give us back our middle class because our middle class is disappearing. But we don't do that. Instead, I mean, honest to God, you know, does the Smithsonian at this point in our time need to open a new Latino museum and a new museum for women. I get it. Those things are important. And I'm not putting down the value of those things for society. But a billion dollars when you have people that can't feed their children and you've got people in the inner cities that have to sell drugs to support their families and you've got schools that are failing because they can't buy textbooks and learning programs for the students. Why the hell is this money going overseas? It, it, it doesn't help anybody. We could do so much with that money. I mean, I drive through the town that's two towns away from me. I live in a small town in Massachusetts. I live right near the second biggest city in Massachusetts, which is Worcester, Massachusetts. I drive into that city. There are homeless people panhandling everywhere, people living on the streets. Let's build shelters so these people have places to live with that money. You know, let's do some things that benefit the people. Well, but we you just know, don't do it. We don't you know, do it. You know what we could do? Those shipping crates that they're, they're those big shipping containers that they're bringing in from China. One of those actually cost only five hundred dollars. If you didn't know that, right. and we could and we could take those shipping containers. And, and I don't know if you've seen this or not. A lot of people haven't seen this, but for about fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars, you can create a pretty nice livable space for someone. So. I mean, what what we could do is we could start taking those things when they retire them and they're just going to melt them down or whatever. And I mean, you know, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, government housing. But, you know, these homeless people that they have nowhere to go. A lot of them have mental health issues. And a lot of the problems that, that are in our inner cities stems from in the 1990s. Bill Clinton did a lot to destroy uh, mental health. And then George Bush finished it off. And then what was left? Obama killed that. So they, they, they've destroyed the mental health aspect of our country. They, they, there, there is no mental health system in our country anymore. Nothing. And, and these, people cannot, um, th these people cannot get help. They cannot get, they, 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 they cannot get the help they need. They can't get the medication they need. And, you know, it's a shame and a disgrace that we're going to send $1.3 billion to freaking Egypt 
for them to buy Russian weapons when St. Jude Medical Research Hospital, who does not charge families one daggum dime, not one cotton-picking dime, do they charge any family for their child to be treated there. Not one cotton-picking dime do they charge the American people. They can't even get help. But we're going to send $1.3 billion to Egypt? It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, that, and I, I saw homeboys coming up a little bit higher talking about, you know, Trump is not truthful. He and the administration knew exactly what was in the bill. They negotiated. I guess from my perspective, I mean, that was a 5,500-page bill. Now, who wrote the bill? I mean, who wrote that? Who was responsible for writing that bill? I'm assuming it was attorneys. I'm assuming it was – I mean, again, if, if I look at that and I'm a senator or whoever I am, I mean, there's no way in hell – I could ever read 5,500 pages. If I'm one of those guys, I'm hiring 20 or 30 scholars to read 200 pages each and give me a report on what pork is in that bill so I know what's in it. But I know that a lot of these politicians had no idea what they were even voting on, and then all of a sudden you get this. So I, I guess I'd like to know, because I mean, I know Trump didn't write it. I know Pelosi didn't write it. So who wrote the damn thing? Who wrote that 5,500 pages? And why is that money going to all these different organizations? I mean, you may know the answer to that. I just honestly don't know who wrote it. Do you, do you have any idea who wrote that 5,500 pages? I have no idea who wrote that. Yeah. I'd like to no know who idea. wrote it. I mean, I mean that, that's an amazing document, 5,500 pages. And, I mean, no one could read that. Nobody. Nobody. And to have all that buried in there, it was done on purpose. I mean, maybe this is what we're talking about. Maybe, maybe we're talking about the lawyers that represent the deep state that are writing yep. these things out. Yep. But, I mean, it, it's just they're stealing our money. They're stealing our money. They're stealing the money of the left. They're stealing the money of the right. And the American people, all of us, need to be smart enough to realize that we have to stop letting politicians divide and conquer us because we are divided. We are divided as a nation. We, you know, we're, we're arguing right now, Trump, Biden, Biden, Trump. I mean, honestly, when it comes down to it, neither side really matters. We need to be one America. We need to come together. But we are losing the battle, and we are being divided by the people that want to keep us divided until we learn that we can't continue to do that, and we need to fight together. Because, again, right now we've got 330 million people that are being controlled by what, 537 people? Why are we letting that happen? Why aren't we telling them that, God damn it, this is our country. We want term limits. We want you, if, if you're going to be a senator, if you're going to be in the Congress, if you're going to be whatever, you make $50,000 a year, you get health care that everyone else gets, you save it a 401k like everybody else does, you get two four-year terms, and then you're done and we move somebody else in. I mean, until we, until we set down that law and make those changes, our company's never going to improve or our country's never going to improve. Yeah, they, they they don't care, and and that's wow. a, that, that's another issue. Like, why why do we only have five hundred and something people representing three hundred million people? What what why 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 are they so hard to beat? Why are they so hard to get out of there? Why are we allowing special interest and 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 and, and all of these corporations to keep donating millions and millions and millions of dollars? To these campaigns, and if you want to, and if you want to actually look at something, if you want to actually look at something, and all these people that talk about, oh, Joe Biden's going to save us. Let me tell you something about Joe Biden. This dude received 1.7 million dollars in campaign donations from Google. So if you think censorship's going away under this guy, you've absolutely lost your mind. Now the censorship right now is out of control. I mean, if you look at Facebook, you look at. 
to any of these different platforms. The censorship is everywhere. And, you know, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, you cannot basically express yourself at all. And if you do from the right wing perspective, you're going to get your fact checkers. You're going to get your little warning signal down to the bottom. And I've never seen anything like it, but you're right. I mean, it's never going away. These people are buying favorability with the politicians and they're spinning the things they want to see. And, and I, I'd be willing to say right now, and I'm sure probably most people here would agree with this, that the forms of social media like Facebook, you know, for the older population, for Instagram, for TikTok, for Twitter, whatever, those are more popular than, and they're, they're more important forms of media than television, than radio, because that's where everyone turns now. No one's got the TV on watching the news anymore. They got their phone in their hand. They're looking at Facebook. They're looking at Twitter. And what they see there is gold. And I, I think what Homeboy said was very accurate also, where he said people are too comfortable right now to, cha to challenge the status quo. You're right. 99.9% .9 of the population doesn't give a damn. You know, they, they go to work. They come home and they play their Xbox, they watch their TV, they get on Facebook, whatever it is, and they don't care enough to investigate what's really going on. So I think when you have the masses that are ignorant to what's going on, then you're not going to have change. And hopefully people will become more enlightened as they live in, in this country. But I don't know if it's ever going to happen because you get the small percentage of people that look into it. But for the most part, people just don't give a damn. They don't care. No, they really don't. They really just don't care about. And, and you know, I've said this before. People only care about when they're going to get their next tracking device. Um, right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, they they don't even think about that. Like, if if you want to see how scary it is, of how many companies track you, download this app. It's called DuckDuckGo. You can download the app and then just type in a simple web address that you normally go to, and then you'll see like twenty something, uh, twenty something uh, of of. of companies that have been trying that are trying to track you that are blocked so if you if you do that you'll be looking at this place and you'll be looking at this world in a different perspective because you'll be like oh my god all of this is all about mind control it's all about yeah. control and they, they they really don't they don't want you to know that john rockefeller knew that his petroleum-based medicine was causing cancer and he knew it was causing cancer that's why he created the american cancer society so they don't want you to look into stuff like that. It's true. I mean, you know, I, I'd like to see you talk about things like that. I mean, how about the Clinton Foundation? Where's all the money going? They have all that money going into the Clinton Foundation. And you don't pocket. care about the. Of course it is. The Clinton Foundation is nothing more than a tax shelter for their family. They get donations from other countries. They get donations from political organizations, and that money's not going out anywhere. That's going right into the Clinton family coffers. I'm sure Trump has one. I'm sure they all have them. And, I mean, that's exactly what we're dealing with in this country. So you're, you're right. I mean, it's widespread, and uh, you, know, you you got you got people, I mean, not to go too far off into a tangent, but, I mean, you got the Clintons. you got a lot of different people in government, Republicans, Democrats alike, that were frequenting Epstein's Island. Yep. I mean, really, what you what you have in this country is you have a lot of evil friggin' people that are running this country that are pedophiles, that are, you know, you look at Weinstein in Hollywood. I mean, if, if you go back, it's kind of funny now, you know, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein in, in Hollywood, if you go back and you watch any teenage horror movie from the 70s, 80s, he was involved with almost all of those. Yep. And what are they known yep. for? They're known for number one, violence. And they're known for number two, showing right. teenage girls naked having sex. 
Right. And that's something that Harvey Weinstein's been doing this for years. And he, along with, you know, Bill Clinton, uh, Epstein. I mean, if, if you look at the names of the people that have been on that island, have been on those travel logs, I mean, they are government officials. They are world leaders. They are royalty. They are movie stars. Hey, I mean, John. it shows how corrupt the wealthy is in this country. Yeah. J John, they're saying that they've got a picture of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, on that island now. Do they really? Unbelievable. Yeah, that's what they're saying now. And hey, another thing that you were talking about, let me let me let me get to talking about this as we were talking about pedophiles. Um the uh, I seen something the other day that was very interesting, and I mean, I'm pretty sure you've seen your, 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 you know, you have a daughter. She probably watched this show. Have you ever seen your daughter watch the show called iCarly? Oh, iCarly, of course. Yeah, my kids have watched that. Okay, yeah. if you that, now there's a conspiracy about the guy who was the producer of that show that he was just another he was just another Harvey Weinstein. Unbelievable. And, and I never, I never paid any attention to it. But I mean, there was so many jokes about boobs, and there was this dude. There was this fetish with feet on there. There was, there was always a fetish with a foot on that show, and I never realized it till I started looking into it. And now they're saying that you know this could be true. So I mean, you never know what your kids are watching anyway. You know what that is? That's almost like digital grooming. You hear about like grooming pedophiles, yep. groom children. It's grooming through. The television or grooming through the internet and that's exactly what that is and it's scary to think that that should exist but it does it exists and it, it is planned in my opinion now yeah. i don't know if you saw the comment by light bright light bright if i remember correctly now correct me if i'm wrong light bright but your family knows bill clinton is that correct because she says i'm going to ask bill to see what his response is that should be interesting so if i remember light bright has pictures of her with bill clinton her family knows clinton that would be interesting to hear what his response is. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, well, 26 you know, times on the plane. 26 well, times. That's a lot, of, a lot of trips. Well, you know, like, Brad, I was down there on the plane, and uh, me and Hillary, uh, me and Hillary was on that plane together, and uh, it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. I did not have sexual relations with that 14-year-old. <laughs> you know, that, that's when Bill Clinton lost me. I actually voted for Bill Clinton twice. I voted for him twice, and I think I told the story. I bumped into him once. When he was first campaigning for president, before anybody in New England knew who he was. No, God, he knows was, you. Goodbye, John DeVito. You better I say know. you're not what? suicidal now. <laughs> well, it was funny. I was walking because I work with schools. I sell products to schools. I was walking into Concord High School, which is in the capital of New Hampshire. So it's the biggest high school in the capital of New Hampshire. I walked into the high school, and I literally bumped into a man going around the corner. Didn't know who he was. And the one thing I remembered about him was his tie was crooked. So I walked in. I bumped into him. He said, excuse me. I said, oh, sir, I'm sorry. You know, no big deal. We were both fine. So we both went on. I walked into the office. I assumed he was like a principal or a teacher. So I walked into the office and I said, uh, hey, how you doing? I'm John DeVito from so-and-so. This is why I'm here. And the woman said, hey, did you see that guy that was leaving the office? I said, I did. And uh, she said, yeah, he's running for president. His name is Bill Clinton. And so I literally bumped into him in the hallway. Didn't even know who he was at the time. But, uh, you know, he, I, I liked him. He was a well-spoken president. He probably gave the best speeches out of any president, you know, kind of like Ronald Reagan did, was amazing speaking to the American public. But when he did what he did, and then he lied to the American public about it, he lost me at that point. I'll never forget him wagging his finger at us and doing all that type of thing and you know, it, it just shows that from the time he was president all along, he just didn't have character, and it was unfortunate. He, he did that with his intern. I think his wife knew he was doing that type of stuff. 
And, uh, you know, he, I think he continues to even do that today, you know, whenever he wants to. So, I don't know. His wife apparently had a deal going on with Huma Abbott, and that was Anthony Weiner's wife. So, I don't right. know. That, that's, that was an accusation. Now, let me put that out there. That's an accusation. That's not That's not fact. That's, that's just an accusation that's been made. So... Anthony Anthony Weiner. I mean, think about that guy. I mean, what a pervert that guy is. Well, I mean, <laughs> look at his name. Look at his name. His last name's Weiner. Who would ever thought a name like that? Right? Who would have ever thought that a guy named Weiner might be a pervert? <laughs> sending so pictures, true. sending pictures of his Weiner to a to a catfish girl while he's laying next to his child in the bed. Who would be shocked about that? And I, and I can save anybody out there that's listening to the show. You know, if you happen to have a penis and you want to send a dick pic to somebody, <laughs> let me just tell you, no one wants to see the shit. You know, <laughs> I, I have to speak for all the women out there, man. They don't want to see it. You know, they don't. They don't need to see it. So yeah, if you're yeah. doing it, you know, you're not helping anybody. <laughs> Well, you know, they can use different angles now, but you know, one they might see the thing in person and you might get embarrassed. So see, now look at Light Bright. Say that again. That's all we need to hear. It's the truth. That's the last thing. You know what's funny? I've gotten them before. I've been on Instagram and I uh -oh. opened up my 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 picture, my my private messages. I've gotten dick pics from people before. And you know, I, I write back and I'm like, Well, first of all, just so you know, I'm not interested, I'm not gay. And I hate to tell you, but I thought it would be bigger. And usually that doesn't get a great response back when you say something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Such an unattractive body part. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, Trump, but what you were saying about Clinton, if that happened under Trump and somebody caught Trump doing that, I'm pretty sure Trump would be like, yeah, I was getting my knob polished in the, in the, uh, in the oval. <laughs> Oh, you can't help it. I'm a man. God forgave me, and so did Melania. <laughs> you know what I heard? Like, where, the, where the hell did I? I may have heard someone say this on TikTok last night. They were talking about Donald Trump, and they were saying, you know, a lot of people don't like Donald Trump. And the reason why they don't like him, he's that doctor that has no bedside manner, and he's the <laughs> doctor that will come into the room and say, you know what, buddy? You're 150 pounds overweight. You're going to die from a heart attack. Stop eating. And when you when you leave – you walk out saying, man, that doctor was an ass. I can't believe that guy said that to me. But then when you think about it, maybe two or three days later, you sit back and you're like, you know what? That doctor is the only person that told me the truth, that I'm fat, I need to lose weight, and maybe he cares about me. And I, I, someone had mentioned that on TikTok. I thought that was such a good analogy of him because he's never appropriate. He's not political. He doesn't say the right things. He's not PC. But he does tell people how he sees it. And I think he believes that what he's saying – is what people need to hear and it is what america needs to heal and i thought that that was kind of a good a good uh, analogy that that person used to describe trump yeah yeah he, he is man he has no bedside manner he has no filter i mean that's just no. that's that's honestly why people don't like him and just being honest that's why somebody sometimes people don't like to listen to us because you know sometimes we just have enough of it and, you know, I, I've heard it on your show before, too. You just go on a tangent sometimes, and you just let them have it the way it is. And, I do. you know, I, I do the same thing. I mean, if you don't like the truth, then don't listen. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. I mean, that's the way the world turns. I mean, but if you've got an alternate opinion, and you're uh, and if I can see valid points in your opinion, then please give it to me. But, you know, it, it, but it, don't come at me with something stupid when I got facts. You get what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and for me, I, I hold 
no contempt for anyone that has a different opinion than I do. I mean, I know that there are a lot of people out there that don't agree with me, and that's okay. And that doesn't, you know, but what we need to learn as a people again is that doesn't mean that we have to be enemies. Just because I might like Trump and maybe you like Biden doesn't mean that we can't like each other. It doesn't mean that we can't be friends. It doesn't mean that we can't respect each other. People have different opinions, and that's what makes this country great is that we have the freedom to have our own opinions, and we can debate things. And I think if we debate things, you know, even if I if I get to a debate with someone that's a hardcore left winger and I'm a right winger, and if, if I walk away saying, you know what, this person made some good points about this, that, and the other thing, then that helps me maybe become a better person. And hopefully I can do the same thing for them also, because I think it's always good to look at things from other people's perspectives and not always look at it from your own angle, you know? Yeah, and I don't know if you anybody's ever listened to him or not that's in here on the live, or anybody might be listening and recorded it, or John, I don't know if you've listened to him, but I, I have a couple of episodes that are out there that where I actually did some interviewing with some, with some Democrats. And, um, you know, we, we, what we found out on one of them, uh, this guy named Herb New was a wonderful guy. He sent me a wonderful letter. Sent me a, a he sent me a book. His his wife wrote with a sign. You know, signed a copy of the book. But what we found out is that we're really not that much different. It's just certain things that we're kind of different on. Right. And you know, he well, was I, like, you know, so nobody's wanting to kill babies. He was like, that's what they don't understand. We you know we're I'm a Democrat, but I'm not out to kill babies. And he was like, you know, that was one of his main points. And I, I thought it was I thought it was wonderful that he said that because that's one of the things you hear so much about Democrats is that they're baby killers. Right. And I've had a and, guy you know, on here. Well, I mean, I think that's what's hard. I mean, you know, you, you got into that topic, and you know, abortion is a very, very difficult topic because I mean it's such a passionate topic. And you have people that you know believe obviously very vehemently against abortion, but then I, I do also get the side of women where they come in and say, "Listen, it's my body. I want to have control over my body." And it's true. I mean, if you're a woman and you know, you're pregnant, and the pregnancy could cost you your life, or you've been raped, or whatever, or, or if it's an unplanned pregnancy, you don't feel like you're ready. I do understand completely why women want control of their body and want to be able to do that. But then also on the other side. I do get where people feel that, okay, if someone is 97 years old and they're in a nursing home and they are you know, defecating in their bed every day and they can't eat and they can't get dressed and they can't bathe and they can't speak, why can't we end their lives? You know, that's considered a crime. But if you end the lives of an unborn baby, that's not a crime. So there are so many different facets that go into it and abortion is a tough one i mean it really is it's a tough thing to debate and uh you know i i get it from both perspectives and i i don't ever think of a democrat as a baby killer i don't think of it that way i think that you know w women want to have the rights to their own body and they should i mean it is their body and i don't think all of a sudden i want to wake up and be pregnant and have my life be endangered and have to make a choice about okay well i have to go give birth to a baby and i might die i mean that's a, a very scary thing to have to go through so it, it's a tough topic that people have very passionate feelings about it. And I'm sure that, you know, you have your feelings on it just like everybody does. And I, I try to be understanding of everyone's perspective on those type of things. And, you know, it, it's hard to understand from, I guess, different people's perspective sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm pro-life. Right. And, and I am too. I am too. Uh, yeah, yeah, th that's th that's just one of the things. Though I'm I'm pro life, and I'm not. I, you know, when people get mad at me for saying that, oh, you're pro life when it comes up only up to birth. And you know, me and you have talked about this before. Yeah. You know, Republicans have a bad issue of 
being only pro-life uh, up until birth and then they don't care about the kid they don't care if the kid gets anything to eat you know they, but they want to tell them they got to have it but right. you know it, it's it, it's one of those things it, you know like my grandpa says and like i've heard him say and i've heard several people around here when i grew up when i was growing up saying hey if you don't if you don't want to get pregnant keep your pants zipped up if you don't want to get nobody pregnant keep your pants zipped up and if you don't want to get pregnant keep a quarter between your knees and if you don't ever drop that quarter you can't get pregnant so <laughs> yep, I, i've said the same thing if, if you want you know, my, my version of pro-choice is when you take your pants off and the penis enters the vagina there's your choice you made your choice to have sex and you know the consequences could potentially be you know your you someone getting pregnant but again you know when, when you talk about choice i mean if a woman is attacked and raped and she's impregnated yeah again a wife is still involved but she yep. had no choice in that matter and that's yep. where it gets that's where it gets great it gets difficult you know well, well see you can ask your wife about this i, I don't I, I don't know if, i don't know if i'm quoting him correct but uh ron paul uh ron paul's dad who was a doctor he says and he claims that if a woman goes to the hospital um, within 24 hours of a rape or an assault that they can give her a shot of estrogen. At... So Cheryl, if a woman's raped, can they go to the hospital within 24 hours and get a shot of estrogen that nullifies the birth or something like that? Plan B. Plan B. Mm -hmm. plan B. And Okay, they can get plan B in a rape kit. What does that do, Cheryl? But plan B helps prevent pregnancy. Okay, so the plan B does help prevent pregnancy yeah so they get that yeah yeah and, and see that that's one of the things though that that uh, that abortion and i mean you may be able it's what oh so she said basically it's like a double dose of birth control yeah like this is one of the things they were saying if they overturn roe versus wade that they would actually take away plan b too like it would actually become illegal so wow. it's like yeah and i don't agree with that now i don't agree with no. plan b being illegal um that that's that's one of the things i think we need to keep plan b i think we i think we need to come up with probably other better ways to you know uh prevent it and, and number and i think the best way to stop rape is for all you children for all you adults out there that have children that are teenage boys the best way to prevent them from becoming a rapist is to teach them how to respect women that that's right. the number one way that you prevent rape so you're, you're damn right. I, I think we've lost that in time. Also, I think in society today, there's such a lack of respect amongst young people in some ways. And I'm not sure why it's happened, how it's happened. But you're right. I think if you're looking to prevent rapists from becoming rapists, number one, you have to lessen the number of, of abusive homes yep. that people are being raised in. And number two, you're right. You need to teach men the ability to respect women and protect women and not be violent towards women. There's no doubt about that. That's something that has to be done. And it's a very important part of society that parents need to be teaching their sons. Yeah, man, I, I think we all can agree on that. And, you know, hey, man, we're coming up on an hour and a half. So we're going to have yeah, to we're just showing it. Yeah, oh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to wrap this thing up. But, uh, hey, man, I, I, I enjoyed it. I hope we can do this again. I agree. I think you and I have, you know, we, 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 I think have a very good show when we're together and I very much like, like being on your show. So let's continue to do this. And in addition to having our individual shows, let's get together and have more of these shows. Cause I, I think they're good. Yeah. I think they're good too, man. I appreciate you for doing this. And, uh, you know, we, you might be, you know, Wolf says go balls roll tide. 
Um, <laughs> sixteen years, buddy. Sixteen years. There are kids that are that are alive today that have never seen the Tennessee Volunteers beat the Alabama Crimson Tide. So, um, see, Al- Alabama. I never got anything from Alabama, so I guess they realized I wasn't good enough from day one. So they either that or they knew I was a Yankee and they don't recruit up here. Who knows? <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Now <laughs> Alabama takes people from California. Um, uh, Najee Harris, the running back from Alabama, is actually like a uh, a liberal, and every time he scores a touchdown, he does the Megan Rapinoe. Um, um, hey, actually, the, the the guy we have for the Patriots isn't he from Alabama? Our new running back Harris. Yeah, I Damian Harris. From Alabama. Damian yeah. Harris, he's great. We love him. He's been a he's been kind of one of the one of the nice bright spot, spots of the Patriots this year, where he really is a very good runner. Hits the hole hard, and I've enjoyed watching him. And I remember seeing, I think a couple weeks ago, they were saying he was from Alabama. I didn't realize that, but he's a, a great football player. We really like him up here. I think you're going to be getting our quarterback next year uh, in, in the draft too. I think our quarterback right now, Mac Jones, as a quarterback at yeah, he he's. T- Listen, this kid looks like, and I know, I know people, I know people get on to me for saying stuff like this, and oh, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't compare anybody to anybody, but this kid looks like Tom Brady 2.0. Like, does he, he really? Wow. Yes. Can put the ball wherever, dude. He has this pocket presence that he feels the rush coming in, and he just steps up in the pocket and delivers a strike. See, it's funny. It's funny you just said that. I was listening to it, and again, I know we got to wrap up soon, but I was listening to a sports talk show. Uh, this afternoon, and they had Keyshawn Johnson on talking about Cam Newton, and that's one of the things he was saying. He said, "Yeah, like with Tom Brady, it was just natural. He could feel that rush coming in, and when that rush was coming in from behind him, he'd step into the pocket and avoid that rush." You saw it last night in the game. Cam Newton got hit from behind several times, and he just doesn't have that sense of knowing when that rush is coming at him from behind. So you'd have Brady stepping into that, and you know Cam Newton just sits back and takes the hit. And that's kind of cool to hear he's got that same presence because really all the great quarterbacks have that sense of knowing when to step into that pocket and avoid the rush. And unfortunately, we haven't seen it this year. But, you know, again, as a Patriots fan, we can't be greedy. We had 20 years of a great football team. So it's it's time for us to take it on the chin probably for a couple of years. And hopefully we get a good team coming back sometime in the near future. But. You know. Well, I was a, I, I was a, I, I've been a Cowboys fan forever. So, you know, we haven't been good since I was a, a kindergartner. So. Right. Yeah, they were good, man. I remember those days. Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, they were a great team back in the day. Yep. Well, hey, John, I appreciated it. Uh, and, uh, man, I really enjoyed this, and we're going to have to do it again. Absolutely. I had a great time. Thanks for having me on, bud. Yeah, appreciate it. Everybody, this has been another episode of Cummings' Culture. Remember, you can follow us anywhere and everywhere. You can actually go to Pandora and download us now on Pandora because we're there, too. So we're going to be getting out of here. And remember – It's not controversial, it's just culture.